Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, and our hearts are full because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us at the cross, and how you raised him from the dead. We thank you, Father, for your simplicity and giving us the gospel by grace through faith. We thank you for everything that you are. We thank you that you revealed who you are as well as who your son is and your plan for the human race, all in the word of God that you provided for us. And it was written down 2,000 years ago and hasn't changed one bit. And we just thank you so much, Father, for building us up and edifying us through the word and the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. 
We ask this morning, Father, too, that you would watch over all the flock. We pray particularly, Father, for folks here at Lighthouse Bible Church. We pray for those who are experiencing health difficulties at this time, Father, that they would have your healing touch. We pray for those who are in any kind of difficulty this morning. And we ask, Father, that you would comfort their hearts and let them know that you're with them as you you are and that you've got a plan and you're going to bring everything together for good. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand at this time. Let's stand at this time. All right.
and I think I'll be seated too. <laughs> all right, as we begin this morning, let me just give you a couple of reminders and announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, next Sunday, October 30th, we will have a luncheon, a potluck luncheon at the end of our service, after our service. Um, please let Jack Bovenay know what you're planning to bring. Um, I, I know there will be a ham there, so you want to, whatever you can do to sort of surround that ham with good stuff, we really appreciate it, whatever it is, your specialty and so forth. Once again, I want to remind you of a lot of missionary activity right now. Pastor Kingsley is on his way to the West Indies. He'll be there for the first two weeks of November. And I uh, just want to um, ask all of you to pray for him. I want to thank uh, the Lord and you for the provisions that he now has for that trip. Um, also this morning, as a reminder, um, Pastor Adams in India um, has opened the Healing Hands of Christ home for lepers. This is, a, of course, a giving opportunity for our church, and we have committed um, to uh, providing enough resources uh, for the support of 35 residents, rent, meals, and utilities. That is a cost of approximately $1,000 a month. We invite you to help with that. Um, whatever else is needed um, beyond the gifts of individuals, the church is going to provide. So we are going to send that money to them. But you have an opportunity to, to give to that. It's a, it's a way in which we can all exercise our call to support the preaching of the gospel. So um, once again, I do want to remind everybody that you do the best thing to do with Pastor Adams is for you to direct your gifts to the church. And then we will package those together once a month and then send this on to Pastor Adams. Just make sure that whether you're writing a check or on the um, Pal Talk, Pal Talk, PayPal. Wow, where did that come from? Pal Talk. I haven't thought about that in years. Make sure that you just indicate that your gift is for the healing hands of Christ home. Have a th- yes, Calvin. You don't use PayPal. And you can write a check. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, on the website, thank you. On the website, you don't have to use PayPal. Okay. Yeah, you can use a credit card also on the website, and then you can mail a check the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Um, at the end of service today, I'll put up um, information specifically so you know the address and so forth for that. All right, a new thing that we just heard from last week, although this is not really new to us, Grace Bible Church Pakistan, once again this year, is putting together those Christmas care packages for the for the people in, in their academy, their students, children. And when I say children, I don't just mean their local congregation, because remember, they fan out and provide gifts to a lot of villages and now cities that are pretty far away, because it's amazing. They've planted little churches in a lot of different places. So um, I believe they want to, yeah, they want a thousand, they want to provide Gifts for a thousand children this year. That's a lot of kids. And then because of the issues of, of food all over the world, if you've, if you've been noting, we've got issues of food adequacy in most of the countries of the world. And Pakistan's no exception, especially among the Christians who are the lowest caste of that society. So that's okay. You get one demerit and you'll be staying after class for 10 minutes. <laughs> And the, so, the, so the family ration is something new this year. Um, you can see what the, in the, for every uh, package that they provide, there is, of course, a cost. And those are listed there. Um, 
$15 for the student uniform. I can't even get a tie for $15 anymore. It shows you how far your money goes in Pakistan. The children's gift, $10. Family ration of food, 30 And they're accepting help from now until the end of the year. Okay, so we've got some time to step in there as well. Once again, on there as well, direct your gifts to Lighthouse Bible Church, but indicate that gift is for GBC Pakistan Christmas or Pakistan Christmas or GBC Pakistan. Whatever you want to do, we'll know. All right, so. All right, I think those are the announcements this morning. And so now let us get to the message. The title of today's message is from the book of Ephesians. We will not start there, but we will end up there. And the title of this is, And You Were Dead. And You Were Dead. The book of Ephesians speaks to every one of us. We've been looking at Adam and his fall and what happened to him individually. Today we're going to look beyond what happened to Adam individually to what happened to the whole human race as a result of the fall of Adam. Let's begin this morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 16. Genesis, chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord gave a warning, a a promise, which was a warning to Adam in the garden. We're going to see the implications of that warning for the whole human race. Okay, so let's let's begin there in Genesis chapter two, verse 16. Genesis chapter two, verse 16. The Lord commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, remember, we we are uh, walking through the gospel of John. That's the book that we've been on for a while. And we came across a description in John chapter 11 that really, remember, brought out the humanity of Jesus Christ. The fact that he, he wept at the loss of his good friend Lazarus that he was troubled inside, and that he had compassion for his other friends, the two sisters of of Lazarus, who were grieving his loss as well. And so we begin with the perfect humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are answering the question, according to the Bible, what is man? What does it mean to be human? Again, we began with perfect humanity. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. But next, we went to the Garden of Eden, and we observed man as he was originally created by God. And again, this is, this, is a, this is not the same kind of man as Jesus Christ, okay? But it was a man that was good, and it was it, actually man was created in the image and likeness of God. That's God's original design for the human race. But we saw last week that that didn't remain the situation that even though the Lord commanded Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he did. And therefore he became subject to, as it were, that sentence, because this really was a, a court situation. You do this and you will receive this penalty. You will surely die. And so now we are turning our attention to man after the fall of Adam. We are now Moving, we looked at what happened to Adam and the woman when they fell. We looked at the consequences of that for them. But now we're going to extend this to the entire human race. And, of course, that's where you and I come in. 
we are all subject to the implications, the, the, the consequences of Adam's fall. And we're going to see what the word of God has to say about what that is, what, what has happened and what that means about humankind as a result. So essentially, we, have, we, have, we are now looking at, as it were, three kinds of humanity. The perfect humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, man as he was originally created by God, and then man after the fall of Adam. Those are three kinds of man. We're going to see this morning in the book of Ephesians, which will be our centerpiece when we get there, how the very nature of man was affected by the fall. And we'll see that this morning. Okay, so the Lord God declared to Adam he would surely die if he disobeyed the Lord God. And today we're going to examine what did the Lord mean by that statement? And not just what he meant for Adam, but what he now was, was also transferred and what he also was declaring about the entire human race if Adam were to fall. Now we saw last week that Genesis chapter 3, if we go beyond the event of Adam and the woman eating from the tree that they were they were forbidden to eat, we then saw that the Lord pronounced judgment. He, he pronounced judgment on the serpent because the serpent had tempted the woman. He pronounced judgment on the woman and then on the man. And so some of the elements, remember, the, the key was what he said last to the man, which is, you will return to the dust of the earth. And that meant he was going to die physically. So certainly when the Lord God said you will certainly die, he meant he included the fact that that Adam would die physically. And indeed, his very body would disintegrate and become melded into the dust of the earth. But we also learned that before he died physically, before the woman would die physically, they would have a life of pain. Remember we saw that the woman would would give birth in pain. The man would toil in the garden. It would no longer be, as it were, a labor of love, where he was simply tending a garden that was perfect. And and but now there would be a life of toil. He'd be working with the cold, hard ground that had been cursed to produce his bread and so forth. There would be difficulty now for the whole human race. We saw that that they were at odds. The woman and the man would now and forevermore be at odds with one another. There would be at best a tension and at worst a competition for the for the for the wills to prevail. We saw that. We saw that they were now afraid and ashamed. They had been naked in the garden and they were not ashamed. But after the fall, they were ashamed and they were afraid. And and so there was this guilt and shame that was now upon them. Now again, I want you to transfer this now and say these were the first. These were, as it were, the parents of the human race. Or what the what will what the Bible in the New Testament will talk about would be the headship that Adam is now the head of all who are born and in their birth. Okay, he's the head of everybody. So you can think about the family tree. And by the way, the the, the biologists now are telling us that through the genetic and that analysis, there really was a first man and woman. It's interesting. Now, eventually, science does catch up with the Bible. It takes a while. And there's a lot of wayside movement, but, you know, so that there was originally one man and one woman and all of us have descended. So in a sense, we the Bible talks about the fact that in in a, in a spiritual sense, we were literally in Adam when he fell. So the consequences of what we're going to see, what we have seen about Adam and the woman sort of transfer to the entire human race. We're going to see that this morning. So, again, they were strange. The worst thing of all was they were strange from the Lord God, and they put themselves there. Remember, they hid 
from the Lord. They did that. The Lord didn't hide from them. Okay, so that was what we learned last week about the nature of mankind after the fall. What happened? What did the Lord mean when he said, you are, you will surely die? What did it mean for Adam and the woman to be condemned to die? And then last week we went forward to the God, to the gospel, to the book of Genesis um, in chapter five. Remember, we saw that after Adam and the woman they, they conceived and Adam became the father of children. We, of course, Cain and Abel were the first two, but Abel, Abel died and Cain was banished and the Lord was not going to use either one of them. Couldn't use Abel, couldn't use Abel, chose not, of course, to use Cain. And therefore, there would be another son that would be born. Remember, we saw that Seth was his name. And we saw that the Bible in Genesis 5 says that Seth, was not created in the image and likeness of God. Remember, he was born. Every human being since Adam and the woman was born, not created fresh from the hand of God, and actually not declared to be made in the image and likeness of God. Now, I want to park that idea because I'm not saying that that was completely lost and completely lost. However, now from 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 Seth on, and actually Cain and Abel as well, man would be born in the image and likeness of Adam. Now, and the reason I want to just stop for a moment on that is to tell you that that doesn't mean that there's nothing about the human race that is in the likeness of God, right? Because certainly, even now in our fallen state, you know, we do have a mind which no other creation has. Right. We also um, have the some of the sort of on a, on a remember we saw on a on a on a lowered capacity. There were some aspects of the essence of God that the human race did receive or Adam and the woman received. And and even though that, has, that, that, that the nature, our nature is totally corrupt. You can still through through that. We still have, you know, a sense of sovereignty. Right. A little a reduced one. Certainly we are no longer, for example, in total command of nature as Adam and the woman was. Nevertheless, we certainly have a place where the Lord has given us authority in different areas. Right. And and again, we still we have we have a reduced form of knowledge. Right. We don't have much power, but we have some. And so and so even in our fallen state, we still there's still some resemblance to what Adam received when he was created in the image and likeness of God. But that said, we're not created individually. I'm not created, created at all. And I'm not certainly not created in the image and likeness of God. I, like every human being since Seth, have been born in the image and likeness of Adam. And in fact, the whole human race, you, you transfer, you, you trace it, by the way, through the father. You haven't noticed all of the... Um, all of the lists of the descendants and so forth, they, they always show the line through the father, with one exception, of course. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he didn't have a human father. Yes. 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 I think so. I hope so. I didn't see you do it. Ah, he's a careful observer, see. <laughs> Yeah, was, you know why you don't see me? Because I did it as a hand. I was coming back down, and I was turning off the music, and I went whoosh, really quick. So, yes, thank you, though, because I am apt not to do that, you know. 
just like we didn't record the message last week. I apologize for that. Although I will say that was not my duty. Because <laughs> um, if it were, we wouldn't have, we would not be recording every week, but in any event. All right. So, so again, uh, Seth was made in the image and likeness of Adam. The line of the, of humanity as far as responsibility goes, is, is passed on through the man. That means every human being who has a human father born as a, as a result of the father um, having sex with the mother and having a child, what, what was true about Adam is then passed on. Well, after Adam was born in the image and like um, Seth was born in the image and likeness of Adam, of course, Adam and the e- Adam and Eve had children, and that's what we're talking about. But not only that, but their children had children, right? And their children's children had children. In other words, this this entire race of of people of human beings began to take shape. And the question we want to ask first is: Well, we know what was true about Adam in the garden, and Adam and the woman, after they fell, what about this? the descendants of Adam? What were they like? I'd like to answer that, first of all, by going just forward to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. So if you could come with me to chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, and we'll see the answer to that. Then the Lord saw, what did he see about mankind? Not just Adam and the woman now, but their descendants. And indeed, all men and all women. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Wow. What, are, what happened? Well, man was originally created good, right? The Lord pr- pronounced it completely good. Then we find out that that man and a woman wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, since everything was already good and they didn't need to know about the difference between good and evil because there was no evil, it turns out that because man and the woman wanted to know about evil, guess what? The human race became evil. The human race, not just Adam and the woman. Notice, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, the nature of man now, was great on the earth. It was wicked and it was all-consuming. And notice how he describes this, by the way. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a shocker, isn't it? It's a real blow to the ego, isn't it? When you start to learn the truth about the nature of man, fallen man. Yeah, now you might say, you know, before I became a believer in Christ, I had a lot of nice thoughts, Right? It just does not mean that man is as evil as you could possibly imagine. It does not mean that on a human, you know, the way we look at one another, that we can't make certain distinctions between good things and bad things. By the way, we now have that capacity, though we shouldn't have discernment. We, we, we can't, without the word of God shining a light on us, we can't make correct choices between good and evil, but we have that capacity. But what this is talking about is that every part of us, as it were, has been infected by the sin of Adam. And even though we may think that our motivations are good, if we are not um, 
and we'll see more of this, until we are born again, as the Bible says, and until we have received um, the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this this morning, as a matter of fact, ultimately the source, the motivation of all of our thoughts is evil. Why? Because it's, it's not from God, right? It's not from faith. And remember, we saw in the book of Romans, whatever, whatever is not from faith is sin. So that the, the supposed good deeds that unbelievers have are not truly good in the sense of what, how God sees things. Okay. And I want you to notice, too, that after wickedness, what, what, where does this passage move to? Does it, first of all, move to fleshly sins? In fact, are those described here at all? No. Where does it start? It starts in the mind. The wickedness of man starts in how he thinks. It's interesting. You know, have you ever heard of the total depravity of man? Have you ever heard that expression? Well, it's interesting, though, if you look at we always think about sexual sin. But if you look and find what is depraved, what the Bible says is depraved about the human race, it typically talks about the mind. There's a depraved mind. So in other words, it's not the idea sometimes is that, well, it's only a, it's only the, the lust of the flesh, the body of the issue. Well, that's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, it says that you were you the, the human race, as it were, turned away from God and turned into ungodliness and how we thought the human race was given the ability. This is in Romans one to un- know that God exists. Even in nature, it is clearly demonstrated that there's the hand of God created all things, but chose to reject that and not honor him as God. That was first. In other words, something in the mind of humanity, in the heart of humanity that preceded all of the fleshly sins that we get so worked up about, particularly when we get legalistic and judge one another. Right. How often do we stop and think and say, well, rather than just understand and look, well, you know, I'm not as bad as him. He, he cheated on his wife. I'm, I'm not as bad as him. He's a homosexual. I'm not as bad as that guy because he robbed from people. Well, the fact is that it starts in everybody's thought. All the intentions of the heart are evil. Jesus would say all the wickedness doesn't well, what comes into the man, but what comes out of the man in our heart. And it's so bad. Look at verse six. What did God think about all this? The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So in other words, the Lord looked at what had become of the human race as a result of man's choice to rebel against God and not have faith in the word of God. And he said, why did I even make men? Now, of course, God is God. And this is all given to us uh, as to think about things from a human. God is given um, characteristics of a human in the sense of being grieved in his heart. Sorry that he made man. Now, God knew from all of eternity past what would happen to man. It's not as if he goofed up. Right. But in the expression it's an expression of God's how God sees the fallen human race. It's a grievous thing. But very simply now, we ask the question, okay, so we have the perfect humanity of Jesus. We have what how man was originally created, which was good in, in the image and likeness of God. Adam fell. What happened to the human race? Very simply, the entire human race 
was now wicked and sinful. The thoughts and intentions of their hearts were evil all the time. Well, we get another account of the wickedness of fallen man in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, which I just mentioned. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to now begin in verse 28 for another description. What is man like since the fall of Adam? Romans chapter 1, verse 28. See, to answer the question of what is fallen man like, you really need to go throughout the Bible. There's information throughout the Bible. There's information in the Old Testament, which we'll see in a moment. But the real insight, the real penetrating revelation about the nature of man waits until the New Testament. Okay, so we're going to see that. You might say, why is that? Well, actually, the big reason why is because until the New Testament, until, in fact, the God, the Holy Spirit, okay, at the moment that we're in that we're indwelt by him is now our mentor. He allows us to understand, as Second Corinthians two talks about the things of the spirit. Right. There's so many things about God's wisdom that he revealed only after the Holy Spirit came to dwell in our hearts, because these things are, as Second Corinthians 2 says, spiritually appraised. But in any event, so we're going to now look at the New Testament and what the Lord reveals in chapter 1 of Romans to talk about the fallen human race. Because Romans, from Romans 1.18 all the way to Romans chapter 2, verse 3, verse 20, is a complete court case against the entire human race. At the end of which, Paul will conclude, there is none righteous, not even one. Not just Adam now, but the entire human race. But let's look at a description. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Remember, this is every human being as born. This is you. All right? From the moment you were born, this was your nature. This is what you had. Doesn't mean you acted out in all the ways we're about to see, but those were all in us. And by the way, it's still in us. All right. As its own thing, Bible calls it the flesh. Paul says nothing good dwells in my flesh. And by the way, he didn't say nothing good used to dwell. Right. It still dwells in our flesh. We still um, have these this 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 thing that's going on in our bodies. But thank God we now have we are now been made into the new man and God is working on us to transform us into the image and likeness of Christ. So it's like put the old aside and bring on the new. Okay, but I'm getting ahead of the story. Look at Romans 1:28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, okay, that's what happened in the all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God gave them over what comes first to a depraved mind? There we see it again. To a depra- Genesis 6, right? All the thoughts and intentions of his heart were only evil continually. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which were not proper. Being filled from head to toe. There's no soundness in man, fallen man anyway. Being filled with all unrighteousness. This is the opposite of God, by the way. All wickedness. Look at it. Greed. 
This is, by the way, this is in it. Why do you think the Bible says thou shall not covet, thou shall not steal? Because it's the nature of fallen man now to covet and to steal. And don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, because actually a lot of all of Romans 2 and part of Romans 3 now addresses the self-righteous and the religious and says, you may condemn others, but you have it and you're doing it yourself. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder. Remember, Jesus said, it's not just murdering somebody physically. If you've ever hated a brother, you've committed murder where? In your heart. See, it's all in there. It's all in there. Strife, deceit. How many of I want to just do a little survey this morning. How many of us have never lied I could even ask the question, how about in the last week? <laughs> Not funny, but the fact of the matter is, is our nature to lie now. That's why, that's why the Lord has to, has to teach us now that, we, now that we are Christians and now that we do um, have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and we have been made into a new creation. Now, he, But he still has to tell us, listen, don't lie anymore. <laughs> Right. But instead, use use your use your words to build people up to speak the truth. Deceit inventors of evil. You see, we are born, by the way, not children of God, but but children of Satan. It's a hard thing to learn, but it's true. What did Satan do? He invented evil. He is the inventor of evil. But now we are born with the same kind of propensity. All right. Sometimes remember anyone ever hear the expression, the criminal mind? Have you heard that expression, the criminal mind? And now, do you ever stop and think that maybe you have the criminal mind? I wonder if you've ever thought that. But if you look at our entertainment, if you look at how we examine, we love to examine mysteries and who done it, and right, we have it inside of us, right? We have a propensity to be this way. To be disobedient to parents. That's in the nature of children. Okay, they didn't learn, they don't have to learn that, right? They, we, are, we are born that way, okay? Disobedient to parents. Now, we don't have to remain that way, but we're born that way. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinance of God, Adam, by the way, knew. The command of God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ever since then, even the Gentile who never had the law still understood the ordinance of God. All right. Because it was revealed in nature. Okay, That those who practice the things that we just read are worthy of death. But not only does the fallen man do these things. Also gives notice hearty approval to those who practice them. By the way, this is the world. The world is all those who are without Christ. This is how they operate. Don't be shocked when you see that people who not only do things that are sinful, now want to have approval of them and give approval for everybody else to do it. Boy, we see that in our country, don't we see that? Not, it's not good enough that, that somebody practices for example, homosexual acts, but now they want they want they give approval and want approval to everybody, right? 
Now, I'm not picking on homosexuality, but it is a big issue right now. It's all over our media and so forth. And we need to step back and say, what's going on here? It's not simply what an individual does. It's the fact that society gives approval of it. Approval of it. Hearty approval. And, you know, this is a description of a monster, isn't it? There's a monster, all these things, to be filled with unrighteousness, to be wicked, to be greedy and envy and murder and deceit and malice and gossips and slanderers, haters of God, haters of God. That ought to stop and give you some pause. Wait a minute. Mankind in his fallen state hates God. And by the way, would always continue to do that if it not were not for the intercession of God himself, the revelation of God, as a matter of fact, that that the salvation by grace through faith. Other than that, we would remain haters of God. That's an awful indictment. We ought to think about that when we consider the capacity of the unbeliever to do anything godly. Right. There's a lie out there now called lordship salvation. And it's basically basically if you boil it all down. It says that fallen man, an unbeliever, has to do some good things in order to set themselves up to be saved. How can they do that? They're haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, unloving, unmerciful. Monster. But here's the thing to consider. They didn't turn into monsters. It wasn't because they had a bad environment or somebody was a bad influence on them. These things may be true, but all those things do is bring out and open up opportunity for what's already inside every human being. They didn't turn into monsters. If you look at somebody today that's acting out in these ways, they didn't turn into that. Guess what? They were born monsters. You were born monstrous. So was I. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that tell us that. Psalm chapter 58, verse 1. We consider our marvelous, great salvation. When we consider what Jesus Christ really accomplished, when we look at it in light of the facts about fallen man, it just makes the salvation through Christ and his death on the cross, more and more amazing, more and more glorious, more and more depths that we, we can never really penetrate to understand the, the, the significance, the implications, what Christ actually accomplished. We can only do that when we understand the true nature of fallen men. Look at Psalm chapter 58, verse 1. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O gods? By the way, that is sarcasm. He's speaking to human beings. Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? So he's talking about all mankind. Psalm 58, 1. Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? The unbeliever can't judge uprightly. Can't do it. Why? Because they are without God. They are without, they are without the Lord through his word, transforming them and training their conscience. You can't judge uprightly, uprightly, O sons of men. No. In your heart, there it is again, you work unrighteousness. 
On earth, you weigh out the violence of your hands. This is the nature of fallen man. And then look at verse three. The wicked are estranged from when? From the, from the time they, they reach seven years old and they join a gang, then they're estranged. Is that what it says? Mm-mm. From the time their older brother taught them to steal, they were estranged. Is that what it says? No. From what point in time? From the womb. From the womb. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. From birth. The sons of men, fallen man, we were estranged from the womb. In other words, you didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You were born a sinner. They go astray from birth. And indeed, every man with a human father inherits the sinfulness of Adam. Every man with a human father inherits the sinfulness of Adam. Was anybody here this morning born without the, without the presence and activity of a human father? I'm not saying you grew up with, a human, with, your, with your biological father, but you had one, right? Okay. Who didn't? One person, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he's sinless. You might say, how can it possibly be? Well, because he was actually, remember, by the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Okay? He was, he was conceived. So, therefore, he didn't have this. He didn't have a human father. But we all do. Every one of us, except Jesus, inherited. Inherited. Not developed. Not demonstrated. Not started to sin and therefore was sinful, but in it was an inheritance. The sinfulness of Adam. Let's look at, let's continuing in Psalms. Let's look at Psalm 51, verse 5. You know, when when people say, when evangelists say, you know, I know you've been searching for God. You know, I know that well, you, the reason you went into these false religions is because you were looking for God. Well, if, I, if, if we are wicked from birth, how much looking for the real God do you think we did before we were born again? I'm going to tell you how much. None. None. Oh, we may, have, we may have some thoughts about it. We may have curiosity about it. But in terms of that desire and need to have a relationship with God, we didn't have that. That's why it's a miracle. That's why it's by salvation, by grace, through faith. Not because of who we are or what we were doing, but simply by looking at what Christ did and believing what he did for us. It's a miracle that grace does everything from start to finish. Our salvation is a supernatural work of God. Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now at this point, boy, we have a human race has really been knocked down quite a bit. But surely there must have been something good, something that the Lord God could take pleasure in. I mean, after all, the world does. The world looks at unbelievers who are benefactors and made a lot of money and give it away. 
give millions of dollars away to charity and say, well, that's something good. What does God say? What can the Lord God take pleasure in? Is there anything about fallen man that God can take pleasure in? Look at Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. This, of course, reveals the lie, right, that man is basically good. We have, a, we have a, a whole culture that thinks man is basically good. We, we have movements that they, we have philosophies, we have religions who think that man is basically good. Islam teaches that man is basically good. Okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses do. The, the, the uh, Mormons do. Our culture does. You know, the thing about it is, if all we got to do is educate the unbeliever, and they'll be good. You ever hear about it? All we have to do is give more money, and they'll be good. How's that working out? It's not. I mean, I mentioned this before, but, it, you know, do you know that the terrorists, most of them are well-educated, especially the leaders? Huh. Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. The Lord God looked down from heaven upon the human race, the sons of men, to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek after God. What was the conclusion? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul would, by the way, quote this in Romans chapter 3 in his indictment of the human race. As far as God is concerned, as far as what he can take pleasure in, he looks at fallen man, the unbeliever, and says, there are none who understand, there are none who seek after me, and no one does good. Well, the Lord had said to Adam, if you rebel against me, you will surely die. And he did that. Adam rebelled. And as a result, that rebellion spread to the entire human race. We just saw that. Well, if the rebellion spreads to the entire human race, what comes with it? Well, what happened to Adam when he rebelled? He received a death sentence. What happens to the human race because we've inherited the rebellion? The death sentence is now upon us. As goes Adam, so goes the entire human race. And therefore, because Adam sinned, death spread to the entire human race. Let's, let's see that in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Let's go back to Romans. If you want to understand the nature of man, you really need to study the book of Romans. You really do. You really need to read the book of Romans and come to terms with what it actually is saying about fallen man to start with. You know, a lot of people don't want to read Romans 1 and 2 in the beginning of chapter 3. You don't hear a lot of sermons about that. You don't, we want to skip, and I'm the same way. In my human nature, I want to skip that stuff and get right to Romans 3.21. Apart from the law, God has, has sent his son to redeem us. But unless you understand who we were, the Bible says we were enemies of God, we were unrighteous, we were ungodly. Until you understand that, we won't understand the glory in what Christ has done with his redemption. 
Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, who's that one man? Who do you think? Is it Adolf Hitler? Do you think he's talking about? Through one, Adam. Just as through one man, Adam, what happened? Sin entered into the world. All the, the world of people. I just point out something quickly. Just notice it, knows, it doesn't say that sin started into the world. What does it say? Sin entered into the world. By the way, that just tells us that sin was around before man was created, by the way. We didn't create sin. It entered into us. Satan created sin in any event. Through, just as through one man, Adam's sin entered the world of human beings. And what comes on with that? Death through sin. Sin comes in, opens the door to death. That's the death sentence. And what happened? Death spread to all men because all sinned. All were sinners. Well, the Lord said, Adam, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die. Through that sin of Adam, sin entered into the entire world, passed on to the human race. Therefore, death, it comes through as well. Death spreads to all men. And now we come back to a question question we started to answer in Genesis 3, but we're going to continue on. And that is, what's the nature of this death? What's the nature of it? If death came and spread to all men, what's the nature? What kind of death is this? To put it quite simply, is this just physical death? Or is there more involved? Is there more involved? Well, what does the scripture say? Matter of fact, the scripture talks about other kinds of death besides physical death. Lots of different kinds of death besides physical death. For example, we saw this in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. You could turn there now. John, chapter 5, verse 24. In Genesis, chapter 3, this shed a light on the fact that, yes, physical death was part of it. It, it, shot, it talks about the physical aspects of death in chapter 3 of Genesis. Physical aspects. Pain, suffering, enmity between the man and the woman, returning to the dust of the earth. However, when we get to the New Testament, there's a, it shines, it kind of broadens the light. The light was looking at physical death, but then... The revelation of God scans out and says, there's more here. Look at John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You hear the word of God. You believe it. Hear the word about Jesus Christ. And you have something called eternal life. Plant that knowledge. But doesn't come into judgment. But is passed out of death into life. What kind of death is that? I'm planting a seed, right? But yeah. But so the, the point of the matter is, is that there's more kinds of death than just physical death. After all, when we believe in Christ and we pass out of death at that moment into life. Well, we don't pass out of physical death. Right? We weren't physically dead and then we became physically alive. No, it's another kind of death that we've passed out of. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. 
1 Timothy 5.5. The Bible speaks of other kinds of death besides physical death. And it does so in the New Testament. The New Testament. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. We studied 1 Timothy chapter 5, the whole book of 1 Timothy, and we saw this passage. That is in the category of saying, what about widows? And how? what's the relationship between widows and the church? What are the widows? What is the church's responsibility to one who's truly a widow? And what's the widow's responsibility to the church? And in light of that, we see that the church supports the widow, but the widow prays night and day. However, verse 6, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead. And, is, and, and to drive home the point, even while she lives, that can't be physical death because she's still alive. What kind of death is it? All, I'm not answering that question. The only point of looking at these scriptures right now is to acknowledge and, and be convinced that the Bible talks about other kinds of death besides physical death. And look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2, because it turns out that some kinds of death in the Bible are good. Very good. For example, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2. The Bible speaks of other kinds of death besides physical death. Some of them are really bad. Some of them are really good. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2. May never be. How shall we who what? Died, died, but died in what manner? To sin. Do you think dying to sin is bad or good? It's good, right? Dying to sin is good. Whatever whatever this is, it's good to die to sin. It's, we learned that we died to the world. We, we also already done. By the way, this has already happened. You know, there's a lot of, of, of uh, teaching. There's a lot of practices out there that say you have to die to this now, right? Now is the time to die to this, to die to that. No. You've already died to sin. You already did it. Believe in Christ, you have died to sin. Okay, so there's different kinds of death, but let's get back to our question. What kind or kinds of death spread to all men from Adam? What kind or kinds of death spread to all men from Adam, to you and I and every man and woman born who had a human father? Oh, we saw in Genesis 3, of course, physical death certainly spread to all men. All of us will die physically unless Christ comes back and raptures us. Okay, but but millions and billions and billions of people, everybody who who lived, we observe people live, we observe people die, death, physical death spread to all men from Adam. But was that the only kind of death? Was that the only kind of death that spread to all men from Adam? All right, as we close today, and we're going to have to continue this subject next week, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, the passage from which the title of today's message comes. I'm going to answer that question. Was physical death the only kind of death that spread to all men? When the Lord said, you will surely die, was he simply talking about physical death? It seems like he was in Genesis 3. 
But how about in the revelation of the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about the nature and the kinds of death that pass to the whole human race because of the sin of Adam? Okay, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. Hmm. You were dead. I was dead. Everybody here was dead. Now, you might, now, have any of us died physically yet? Anybody? Are we talking any corpses this morning? <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's? You know? No. No, we didn't die physically. So clearly this is what? Another kind of death. Right? Besides physical death. Because it's talking about you and me. It's talking about every member of the human race, but it's not physical death. What kind of death? Let's read on. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay. By the way, we're going to have to do some more work to answer the question, well, what kind of death this is? But clearly, sin entered the world and death through sin. And this has to do with sin and trespasses. We were in our sins and we were dead and it's not physical death. Let's let's see. We're going to only begin to read this passage this morning. We're going to have to come back to it. Because there's so much here. But let's read. Let's see by the next two verses some things about the nature of this death that's not physical death. Look at verse 2. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Okay, so this is a kind of death, but it's there's a walk associated with it. A manner of living associated with it. And it's according to the course of this world, the way that the world of unbelievers operates, we operated in. And that was the kind of death. Look at continue. According to the prince of the power of the air. That means that there was something about this death that turned us into being accordance with following the prince of the power of the air. By the way, that's Satan. Okay, it's an interesting title. But so we were we were walking according to the prince to Satan of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. There was a spirit associated with this death, but it's not the spirit of God. It's what a spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. That's a kind of death. Verse three. Don't think he's just talking about others among them. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. There's a kind of death that involves how we lived. How? In the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Oh, there's that word again, mind. We, the kind of death that we were born with for, was living in the lusts of our flesh. It was indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There's something, when, when we are totally in the flesh, we are dead. And it's not physical death. And notice how this wraps up. And were, notice, by nature, children of wrath. By nature. Now, this can't be physical death, can it? We've seen that already. After all, these people, these dead the living dead, if I could put it that way, the walking dead, they walk. These dead walk. They live and they indulge 
This is a different kind of death. And we're answering the question. We're not going to finish today. But what kind of death is it in Ephesians 2.1? Well, remember, let's remember the simplest definition of death. Okay. You may have heard death is separation. Right? Okay, well, I don't know where exactly in the Bible it says exactly that. Okay. What is true is that death is the absence of life. Common sense, right? Isn't that what death is? Absence of life? Physical death is the absence of what kind of life? Physical life. But this is not physical life in Ephesians 2.1. So the question is, what kind of life is absent here in Ephesians 2.1 through 3? What kind of death is absent here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3? Well, I'm stopping. We're not going to get the answer this week. Stay tuned as we continue. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you for the miracle of salvation. As we understand more about the nature of fallen man, that the fact that we were this way from birth and that we have these things in our heart that when they come out and turn into actions are monstrous. And it's this human that you saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, uh, we're in all that you would do that. We were ungodly and unrighteous. We were your enemies. We were dead in our sins. And you made us alive. Father, we want to thank you once again for that amazing gift. And we know that that when somebody believes in your son, that's the first thing, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness, and you keep on giving. We know from the same book of Ephesians that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We started out following the prince of the power of the air. As believers, we end up receiving every spiritual, what kind, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't have to teach you, Father, but I can't help teaching, right? Anyway, Father, we just want to thank you for all of that. And we want to also understand that since you've given us the greater, you will certainly give us the lesser. And so what prayers this morning for those who are sick, those who are, have other difficulties, those who perhaps have lost valuables recently in the floods that were in Florida, those of you out there that are perhaps in a situation where a relationship has been broken, Whatever those things are, Father, we, are, we know that you have come upon us, and as your children, you will not withhold any good thing. And so help us to rest in that promise, no matter what's going wrong in our lives right now. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Welcome, Peter. Again, I say this a lot, but if you're a speed reader, you don't have to come next week, because I just want to post of the slides quickly. All right, just a couple of reminders, all right? Because I know we, we hear at the beginning, we forget because the message, right? Hopefully the message has an impact, right? That's the idea why we get it. But remember, India, healing hands of Christ's home, okay? Remember Grace Bible Church, Pakistan, their Christmas care packages. 
I promised I would make sure you uh, got the information you needed. We do on our website have a donations page. Um, we also have a, ma a mailing address. I'm giving this to you specifically for those two giving opportunities in missionary activity. Okay, And I say that because we are, of course, called as Christians to give freely when God has blessed us. And, and certainly that can take the form and actually should take the form of supporting the preaching of the word of God in our congregation, in our country, to believers. But, but you know what? When Paul took collections, he took them for others. He was certainly blessed. There were individuals who said, I want to support Paul. But when Paul came out and went to the church and said, I'm going to collect money. I'm going to put together a, a, a collection to give to others, to give to the poor in Jerusalem. That's important to understand. That's important to understand. Okay. In any event, there you go. That's two ways you can do it. By the way, at the bottom, um, you can do PayPal, but also credit cards. So a lot of credit cards up there. I don't think I have any. Well, maybe I don't know. All right. So in any event. With that, we're, we're, we're finished with the service today. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the word of God, that Jesus Christ was, was born of a woman because we were ungodly and unrighteous and dead in our sins. And he was sinless, didn't have a human father. He's gone in the flesh, Father. And in your plan that he obeyed, he went to the cross and died. He died. He was buried. And you raised him from the dead on the third day. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Whoever believes in that message of what it says about Jesus Christ, your son will never perish, but have eternal life. And you have made us, as it were, your ambassadors to proclaim this reconciliation to all that we come across. And so we ask this morning, Father, that you would embolden us to do that. Help us to have recognition of when you've given us the opportunity to do that and to and to speak as we ought to speak. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.